Let's start with the Nokaman. So, Jainism is full of apparent dichotomies, and I thought I wrote down a list of ten, and I thought we could resolve them if we look a little deeper. So we'll start with the easiest one and we'll go to the hardest one. So we'll start with the easiest ones to get your brain working. The first one. Jainism says that nonviolence is the answer. Ahimsa trumps everything. However, Jainism also says that plants have souls and we cause we shouldn't cause suffering to any living being and plants are living beings. So how do we resolve this dichotomy? Oh, this is an easy one, you guys. Well, the least amount of suffering is what you're causing when you're, because you have to sustain your life as is. And, you know, obviously plants being lowest on the scale of what you can, um, what you can cause harm to, you have to eat to survive, but you have to understand that you're still causing a little bit of violence in what you're doing, but it is part of being in the, the samsara as we have. Uh, to be able to sustain our life. Absolutely right. Plants are, are, have less suffering when we kill them because they have less senses. Okay, so number two, the second dichotomy of Jainism. Jainism says, uh, all karma is bad. You shouldn't try to get any kind of karma, any kind of karma to bind to your soul because the purpose is to free your soul from all karma. However, we also tell people, do as much good as you can. Get as much good karma as possible. So how do we resolve that? So can you repeat your question? Sure. We want to get rid of all our karma from our soul, in good and bad karma, because even good karma corrupts our soul. Good karma binds our soul to our bodies. But why do we tell our kids to do good deeds? Why do we do charity? Why do we show compassion? All of that is getting good karma. Oh, you guys, this so, I marked this so, one as easy, it's so, tough. If you guys don't have any answers, you're gonna have a long day. So, uh, I mean, if we don't tell our kids to do good karma, they might do the bad karma. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's one of the choice we have. Okay, instead of doing this, can you not do this? So, that way we tell them, do the good karma. But yeah, I mean, based on our Jainism, it says that good karma is also kind of an attachment. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's, a, that's a tough question. <laughs> So the answer depends on where you are, just like we talked about last time. If you're just starting out, you might as well start doing good things, right? Because at least if you're doing good things, you're not doing bad things. 
things, right? And when you receive the fruits of your karma, they'll be good fruits instead of bad fruits, right? So when you're just starting out, you do good things. Only when you're very far along, along the path do you become equanimous because you realize that getting good karma is just as bad as getting bad karma. So you may go along and you may see uh, in two animals fighting, right? So instead of intervening, you may say, well, I'm not going to intervene, get karma on my soul. But that's if you're far along the path. So if you're, and, and both are true, remember? Because we tell them to different people. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, a quick comment. No problem. Uh, last year we discussed about the balance sheet and the ledger. Is that also playing to this? Tell me again what the balance sheet and the ledger is. Like, you know, the good come on one side, bad come on the other side. We yeah, you know, you know, at the, at the end. We're trying to net it. We're trying to, we're trying to net it, correct. That's not true. So uh, you're not trying to achieve a balance between good and bad karma. Uh, if you have both, if you have the same amount of good and bad karma, you're in twice the trouble. Okay. They don't cancel each other out or anything like that. Good karma attaches to your, your soul financial math is wrong. and binds your soul. And bad okay, karma no also so attaches to your soul. Don't mind the question. I was actually against it, but uh, remember last year we said no. There is a uh, there is a ledger, and it's good to have on the be on the positive side. No, that's not right. Uh, okay. So I would have taken the opposite view in that. In that right. Okay. <laughs> I think the ledger was about understanding and knowing which where one is are. where you are, yeah. not about net. You know. Right. So our next one. So those are the two easy ones. So now we're in medium ones. All right. So we perform charity, but when we do that, that makes us feel better than other people because we look down on poor people or we look down on the people that we help. So how do we resolve this dichotomy of performing charity without ego? Well, charity is supposed, I mean, it's, it's hard being in the world that we are in. Mm -hmm. Performing it truly is very, very difficult. Um, it is supposed to be done without, it's supposed to be done anonymously, yeah. basically. Right. And the point you mean we're not supposed to have the board over there with the big donors of the temple and so the point the problem with being in the world as we as it's currently constructed it, it's hard to get away from all of the ego that the world has come to be attached with and the fact that without I, I mean you know it can be done charity can be done in many ways but the fact is we present charity to other people so that other people can see it and hopefully get be inspired. All, be inspired by it because it's it's hard in today's world to be inspired to do something like that it is difficult to i make a hundred dollars why should i give away five i only make a hundred if i give away five i only have 95 but hopefully if you see somebody else do it maybe you'll be inspired to give away maybe one and maybe later on in life maybe you can be inspired to do something else but it i, I think Right now, inspiration is more important than um, maybe doing it 100% anonymously, anonymously because that is the goal in life, is to do it anonymously, but maybe we're not there yet. And right. It is what it is. And that's a great point. So I use my anger to exercise. So I'm turning something negative into a positive, right? 
So we can use, in the same way, we can use our ego and turn that into something positive. We can use our ego and turn it into charity, right? And so maybe that's a way, good way to reconcile this apparent dichotomy. Other thoughts? One I have is uh, what Koshik putting you on the bus. Thanks to everybody just joining us. We're talking about uh, dichotomies in Jainism and how to resolve them. <laughs> We're on number three of ten. That is, how do we perform charity without getting egotistical about it? Yes. So last year, uh, again, I think Koshik and me shared a video with us about um, the Maharaj who defended uh, bullies and, 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 and the like. It was a very powerful video, I thought. He gave very cogent, very good explanations as to why uh, uh, we have the system. Uh, and one of the things, I, if I remember correctly, Koshi, correct me if I'm wrong, hopefully you remember, <laughs> is that it's better to celebrate charity giving as opposed to not celebrate. Right? I mean, it kind of goes with the inspiration part that, that was mentioned earlier. So I think that's how you would, that would be one of the ways you resolve this. And, and it goes back to what you were saying, uh, turning something negative into positive, because you have to have some form of differentiation of who gets the love. So might as well use something that is betterment for the Vinasa. Right? Right. You get the funds and you do something with it. Otherwise, it's going to be preference. So there has to be some distinguishing factor. So they are using money as the negative anyways, we need to get rid of the greed and the other four things, right? So uh, I think that's what you said is part of it. To celebrate, you use negative to make it positive. That way you also can differentiate between uh, how, who gets the love and it's not pure preference or anything. And then at the end of the day, it's used for better cause. And as far as you're doing charity and you know that you are doing the charity and you're not doing the favor, and you know you take you don't take that uh, as per your like like turn it into something big for yourself then you know keeping that in mind that i'm doing it uh, for my bet for you know better and for others uh, you know and not not for my ego boosting or anything and isn't it same like the previous version we talked about good and bad karma initially both are fine you are so so much a beginner everything is fine so when you start the charity even if it is starting with the ego thing that you will have a name at least you're starting somewhere and then on the journey you will eventually lose that because now it's just how you are you're not even thinking about the name so you have and, to start somewhere and you know in the our life we have to do a karma right but we don't get attached to it then it doesn't turn like then it doesn't turn into good and I mean doesn't turn into the good right if you're doing because in life we have to do a karma right to live a life so as far as I don't get attached to it does it like consider as karma and good karma so your mental state certainly does affect how tightly the bond occurs how tightly the karma attaches to your soul uh, you know what Koshik said reminded me of we teach kids to pray and then we teach them the meaning of the prayers later because we just want to get them to start praying. So if you just do the charity, you just get used to doing the charity. Well, okay, it's for your ego. I don't care. 
but you start to understand why you do the charity later. So that, that's pretty funny. That's what that reminds me of. Uh, the fourth dichotomy is we want people to tell the truth, but we don't want to increase the amount of violence in the world. What our five vows are non-violence, non-lying, non-stealing, non-attachment, and certain forms of celibacy, right? So we want people to tell the truth, but we don't want to cause suffering. So if a hunter comes to my door and says, which way did the deer go, right? What am I supposed to do? Or maybe in the modern example, if we want to tell somebody the truth and we'll hurt their feelings by doing it and we'll cause violence, no matter how small, what should we do to square this? Kind of what we're doing right now. Silence. <laughs> silence <laughs> may be the so golden rule. Silence right? is always an option, right? <laughs> um, except when it isn't. Except when you're a weirdo for being quiet. When somebody <laughs> asks you a question, right? You know, like, do I look fat in this dress? You know, something like that. You just be quiet. <laughs> Certainly, silence is always an option. Uh, that's one way to square one of these. Does anybody remember the answer to the hunter question? If a hunter comes to you and says, which way did the deer go? What are you supposed to say? There's an answer. It's not, this is not a great question. <laughs> the answer is no, you do not tell the hunter which way the deer went. That is the answer. And that means violence trumps truth. Okay. So specifically, if you do not have the possibility, it's better to be quiet. If you do not have the option to be quiet, then it's better to, uh, consider the suffering over the truth. That is, ahimsa trumps non-lying. And that's the answer. This is not a great thing, or this is not something that, well, in this scenario here, in this scenario here, no. Okay, it's pretty clear um, that ahimsa trumps truth. Because, well, it's a little bit confusing because ahimsa is actually the truth, more so than non-lying. And to live your life, to live a truthful life, that is, it's true that you should tell the hunter that the deer didn't go in any particular direction because Jainism is the truth, right? So I just said something a little bit confusing, possibly inflammatory. Does every, everybody understand that? That is to live your life according to the truth, which is Jainism, ahimsa trumps non-lying. Non-violence trumps non-lying. And so you aren't doing anything, you know, bad. You aren't doing anything um, morally gray or anything like that if you choose ahimsa over non-lying. Would it then be better to, or justified to say, he went there when the deer actually went? Yes. To the east? Yes. I mean, taking it a step further. Yes. Not just silence. Yeah, because maybe if you're silent, then the hunter it goes the right turn. Goes, it goes in the right direction, <laughs> or, or commits violence against you, right? I think uh, you got something there. Okay, so number five. A very great point that Parrish brought up many years ago. That is, we don't want to be angry, and we know that anger always leads from the mismatch between expectations and reality. And we know that all anger is directed at the self. 
but how do we have any kinds of standards of behavior if we don't have any expectations? If we don't have expectations for our children, for our family, and for ourselves, how do we have any kind of uphold any kind of standard of behavior if we're trying to get rid of all our expectations because we don't want to be angry? So actually, a few days ago, I was thinking about that. That if I uh, stop expecting, uh, you know, then people would not even consider me, or that they need to do something about me, or something like that. If we if we leave the expectations, say, from my uh, uh, subordinate, uh, like that, okay, I expect this, 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 and they they may not even do the work and all those things. So, if I set the expectation to them, then only they will, you know, get the work done. So. Yeah, I've thought about the same thing that setting up the high expectation is, I mean, even the expectation is good or bad. Right. So does anybody have any answers? Sorry. You know, we were talking about our kids at some point and expectations and getting angry. And we get angry at our kids because we set the expectation that we're angry at because they didn't complete that but we never made that clear to them maybe so we're really getting frustrated with ourselves in that same kind of concept it's the same thing whether it's your co-worker or subordinate or you know, same concept so I was listening to one of the podcasts uh, how to control emotions so in that they say that when our needs doesn't get fulfilled that's when actually we get angry and mad and all those things so if you don't uh, i mean if you just keep the expectation from yourself and uh, do not keep from others and all those things then your emotions you would be able to control so feel your emotions and see why you are getting uh, you know needs so many needs out of others so it's, it's like that, that when we set the expectation, uh, that's when like, you know, we get angry and all those things. So, and, and it's very uh, normal that we set expectations from at least from our, you know, family. So that's, well, that's very normal thing, but uh, well, to set some expectation or not, that's, that's So the answer lies in setting the expectations to match reality. That is, we shouldn't require a standard of behavior other than reality. And let's take the example of children. Well, we tell our children to do something and we expect them to do that. Why should we get angry when they don't do that? They're just kids. We should have expected them not to do that. And so there's two issues. There's setting the expectations according to reality and then each time let's say we misjudge that, each time there's a mismatch, we have a choice to get angry or not. So we can tackle this problem from two ways. That is setting better expectations and also realizing that we have a choice if and when those expectations aren't met. So open, be open to change your expectations. Like say uh, something I said, set the expectation, but say it's not done by the kid, then I have a choice either I get angry or I change the expectation because now I know that okay this cannot be for sure. Absolutely. That's great. So and that's one way to expectation. Yeah, be open to change your expectations. That's great. 
That's a, it took me a while to, to get that, but that's a great phrase. That's a great phrase for us to think about. But in, I have a question when you're, when you say, uh, I have a question because it, when it, especially when you're dealing with kids, your goal is to teach them in life to hopefully succeed, be whatever it is that they want to be. And um, if, if you don't incrementally increase your expectations, because it takes time as, as kids are what they are, but if you don't set a somewhat higher expectation than what they can maybe achieve, so they can slowly build up to where you want them to, isn't that necessary? But if it's making you angry, then you're just purposely so making about, yourself yeah. angry. <laughs> uh, make uh, actually very valid point. That's that's what we all of us do it. That we tell our kids, okay, you know, do better next time and this and that. But if I set some expectation, and I set some expectation, and after three months, I see that okay, you know, my kid or whoever it is is not in that position or cannot achieve it then I need to modify it or I need to change it that because I wanted say in India we always okay be a doctor no you cannot be a doctor be an engineer now you cannot be an engineer then do something like that way you know they keep changing the expectation I think I think the same set the expectation you feel like it's not making any progress then change it right and so we can have if you want to set a higher expectation for your kids let's say my expectation for you is to get straight A's you got to be well now I can get angry, but what is that doing? How about we just work harder on the subject you gotta be on, rather than being angry about it? So expectations are okay, it is the anger that we're talking about that is... Well, the best way to minimize your anger is to have your expectations match reality. So we're gonna fight it from both... both. If you tell your kids that you want all A's, and then you ask them that, hey, you got a 90, they say, I got 92, (laughs) and you're like, well, why didn't you get 100? This is where this anger (laughs) starts coming back in, because... The expectation couldn't be there, right, in getting, getting that across. So. so our next one is about greed, okay, and the greed we experience for our soul. We want to progress along the spiritual path. We want to do all this samvar and all this nirjara, but isn't that ambition, greediness about our soul, isn't it extremely self-interested to want the best for our soul and we want to do whatever we can to go to moksha. Jainism is about me, it's not about us. Right? Jainism is about me and my soul. It's not about me and our soul or us or whatever that is. Right. Because everybody's that responsible one of the things that we, for their we, own we accepted. Soul. Right. That's, that's one of the things that we accepted. In, right. In the in, well, in one the of the, the uh, in Jainism, like I mean, whatever we good we learn, we also want uh, us means whole family to follow it. You know, it doesn't only apply to us. That's why, that's what the main, like that's the main cause. Like we always want everything for us. Listen, if I do atta, it helps me. It doesn't help you do. I know. It doesn't we, matter how much seva you do for I me. Know, it doesn't I, help you. It, <laughs> Right, so what Nick is talking about is there are certain premises of Jainism and all the corollaries flow from the premises. One of the premises is that the soul exists. Another one is that the soul is the doer of all actions. And one, the third one, the, the middle two he's talking about is that the soul reaps the consequences of its own actions. Okay? 
So I don't reap the consequences of another soul's action, and another soul doesn't reap the consequences of my action. In that way, yes, it is all about me, and it's not about us. Another way to look at it is, sure, it's greedy to want the best for yourself and best for your soul. But along the way, you're going to be doing so much good. Uh, so much good for you and the people around you if you progress along the spiritual path. You'll be having a virtuous feedback cycle, the likes of which you've never experienced. Uh, if only you believe that what's in this book is true. Okay, number seven. We talked about charity without ego, but here's the harder one. Charity without self-interest. I donate money because it makes me feel good to do that. Does that make me a bad person? The only reason I donate is because it makes me feel good. I feel good when I put the money in the box. I feel good when I give the money to the person. Am I a bad person? Am I a worse person than somebody who does it without feeling good about it? Well, you're a better person than somebody who doesn't, 100%. No, I, I mean, generally, I mean, I don't know, when I, when I, I don't know, maybe it's me, when I'm giving somebody money, at, at least on a face-to-face -face basis, most of the times I'm hoping that they better their life somehow through this action of mine. Maybe not when they're doing it on uh, the stage or something like that, because that's not as personal, but if you do ever help someone your goal is not to hopefully i mean i've never felt it where i guess i do feel a little bit good about it but i the the action of me helping somebody out is for their betterment more so than it is for my betterment i mean i'm assuming when you're when you're a doctor you feel good about what you do but your goal is hopefully making the patient whole or whatever it is through that act of um, work that you do So that's a great, uh, two great concepts there. So there's a sliding scale, right? Just like we talked about doing without understanding is kind of worse than doing with understanding and it's kind of worse than doing without any expectations, right? So that's great, yeah, there is a sliding scale. Um, the thing to understand is that most people don't feel good about charity. They feel like it's being taken from them or they feel like, uh, why do I gotta do this? or why is this and most that's the first thing to understand most people don't feel good so if you feel good about charity you're in the upper upper percentage of along the people along the spiritual path okay um the second thing is that uh giving because you feel good is better than a hedonistic kind of point of view doing other things because you feel good it's also a little bit of that hack right well let's use our you know our our brain circuitry that rewards altruism, let's do it for doing some good, right? Rather than, um, you know, pursuing a pure hedonistic path of, I'm just gonna do everything that feels good. Okay, so next. So we have this idea of, you can get Gevungyan, right? So the people in Moksha are, Moksha are omniscient, right? But before they get there, you can get rid of all your knowledge obscuring karma and then you will be omniscient. That is, it is in the nature of your soul already that you're omniscient. But there is this concept of free will and karma 
and you choose the things to do that bring the karma to your soul. So how do we square these? That is, okay, there's an omniscient person that knows everything, but we're saying everybody has free will to do whatever they want. How is it that you have free will if somebody else knows everything? Where you're gonna end up? What you're gonna do? How is it that you have free will? So I have a question. When you when you say they know everything, but yeah, do they know everything that will happen for sure, or is it more that most of it is known and there is a little bit of gray area of where free will comes into play, where your certain action can change what it is that's going to happen in the future? So it is more about because there's actually only two things in the world. There's only living beings and non-living beings. And they know everything about the consequences of living beings. That is, what your, what your soul will end up as, where it's going to be in the next life, because that's all that we really care about. Right. That is, living beings. And so, you're right. That's one of the ways to answer this, is that Kevali, uh, remember, this person that knows everything, before they die, they're walking around the world knowing everything. Right? They know less about whether you're going to take a left turn or a right turn at the stop sign, other, but they do know that you'll be reborn five times. And they know about the karma that attaches to your soul. Um, so that's one of the reasons, that's kind of a misconception that we have about this word omniscience. They don't really know and they don't frankly care, a Kevali or a soul residing in Moksh doesn't really know or care about what you had for breakfast that day. Uh, but they do know and care about the karma that is coming to your soul and that's binding to your soul and why it is and why that is. Um, another point is that these people will not interfere. If you have reached the point where you're Kevali, obviously if you're in Moksh, you can't interfere with anything. But if you have reached the point where you're, you have omniscience and you're walking around as a human that knows everything, you don't really care enough to interfere because well not that's not true it's not that you don't really care enough to interfere you don't want to interfere so it is possible for somebody to know everything but you still don't interfere so you'll never change that whatever is determined by that person's karma you know that that person is going to do this certain amount of karma and you're not going to do anything to stop or to help uh, to help or to make things worse so that still will come true so we can have this idea of omniscience, uh, somewhat predeterminism, and also free will. That is, you still make decisions that affect your soul. Okay, we didn't take any questions or comments. A lot of times people have comments about stuff we talked about. I'm usually pretty good about stopping. Uh, and we, we're on number eight, so we just have two more. So any questions or comments about anything we talked about so far? Um, I have one. So on the Ahimsa, versus life. Um, is there, I mean, people can justify going to any land in pursuit of that Ahimsa goal, right? How do you determine 
you've gone too far or you just you're now lying on the other side. It's actually not an enzyme, you're just you're justifying it. Right. So the key to understanding that is to understanding the three levels of intensity. That is mind, speech, and action. Okay? So if you commit violence with your mind, that's bad. But it's less bad than if you commit violence with your speech, which is bad. But it's less bad than if you commit violence with your actions. Okay? So if you tell the hunter the deer didn't go that way, and that's a lot, uh, that's better. That's actually the preferred way. But if you say commit violence against the hunter because you have justified in your mind that you don't want that other violence to happen, that's incorrect because you are now not decreasing the suffering that's going on uh, and you have chosen the path of violence. So you're right. You could justify a lot of things, but if it comes to the point where it starts involving your actions rather than your speech or your thoughts, you know you've gone too far. So uh, one question I have, I know we we know what to do about bad karma, I mean we should not do that, but what about the good karma, like that which we do and still we, uh, you know, then we take a rebirth because of good karma. So what, what do we say about good karma? So when you're very advanced on the spiritual path, not very advanced, we could get there in our lives, then we will stop doing good deeds for the sake of doing good deeds. Rather, our thoughts will be, instead of um, uh, performing, instead of using our time to do a lot of good deeds for a lot of people in our community, Rather, we will spend more time in meditation. Rather, we'll spend more time thinking about how those good deeds might, uh, are actually stopping us from making progress. So as we get advanced, we'll naturally fall away from doing good deeds as well as bad deeds because our, the entirety of our actions will be restricted. That is, as you get further along the spiritual path, you'll spend more and more time meditating. You'll spend more and more time just thinking about Jainism. You'll spend more and more time thinking about how your actions, how the things you should believe should be reflected in your life and you'll stop your job, you'll stop your family, you'll stop, you'll pull out all your hair, you'll throw your wallet away uh, and you'll spend more and more time living like a sadhu. So in current environment do you think so that that's like a really good things to do like sitting at home i know all the things and all like we never heard that they went ahead and did the charity and this and that like nothing like that but in this current environment do you think so that would if someone is even doing like that would be like actually a good thing to do i mean i know it's a good karma but it's a good thing to do because like we would think like that way because we would think, oh, instead of sitting at home and doing meditation and all, I can earn something and do charity or I can do something better for this person or this person. You know, so That's just an excuse. Okay. Because sitting at home and meditating for 30 minutes is a hundred times harder than giving a hundred dollars to the Jane Center. It's just an excuse that you're making. I would prefer that you sit at home and you work on your soul than any amount of charity that you Most people can't. Most people can't meditate for five minutes. Did anybody here meditate for five minutes last week? 
<laughs> Did anybody here open the book between last week and this week? <laughs> Most people cannot. So it's nice theoreticals that we're inventing, but once you understand how hard it is and how much karma you can get rid of by how much samvar, forget about nirdra, how much samvar can you do sitting at one place for 30 minutes? Once you start to realize that, you start to have these epiphanies. Like, why am I doing that? What is the point? What? I'm just going to be reborn. I got to do as much nirdra and samvara as possible right now. Why, why am I coming to the temple? I know everything I need to know. I just haven't done it yet. That's what I'm trying to get you guys to do. Once you start on the path to action, you will have that feedback loop of rethinking your entire life. But that, you have to believe it first. That's what's stopping us. Is that we don't really believe Jainism is true. Other comments or questions? Okay, number nine. How to have compassion without attachment. We brought this up last year, and I'm sad Bhavan isn't here because he brought it up. And this was the genesis for this whole topic. That is... How can we feel bad for the suffering of others? Doesn't it mean we're attached to them? We have this idea of non-attachment. We shouldn't be attached to people, to, to anything. But we have this idea of we should reduce the suffering of others. So how do we have compassion without that attachment? Doing something without expectation. That's great. We can help people without wanting a certain outcome. We can have compassion. We see somebody suffering. They're just like us. We understand they're going through things. Uh, and we can help them to ease their suffering. But we don't have to be attached to the outcome of that help. That is, what did you do with that money that I gave you? Did you use it to buy alcohol or did you use it to better your life? But what did you do with, you know, that, I, that item that I gave you? Did you use it, did you throw it away or did you actually do something with it? You know, so we can have compassion for other people without being attached to the outcome. But why should we have compassion for other people if we're not supposed to be attached to them? That is apart from the outcome question, right? Apart from the expectation question. That is, why should we even do the charity? Why should I care about the suffering if that soul is reaping the consequences of its actions and my soul reaps the consequences of my action? Why should I even lessen that soul's suffering? Because it's clearly a result of its actions. Why should I bother lessen this, lessening the uh, suffering of another soul? You should bother because it teaches you something about yourself. It teaches you something about your soul. It teaches you something about materialism. It teaches you something about these green pieces of paper that we can no longer see are green pieces of paper. You should bother because it helps your soul to have compassion. It helps your soul to eliminate the suffering of others. And it's very hard to understand why. I'm sure some of you are saying this is not a good answer. But this is the only answer, is that 
you do it for your own soul as well as that other person's soul. And that doesn't mean you're attached to their soul. It means you want to learn something about your soul. Okay, last one. We have this idea in Jainism about anikantva, the multiplicity of viewpoints. Some people say, well, that means everybody's right and nobody can have an opinion and nothing's wrong. But I just told you that Jainism is the truth. There are other people out there spreading lies. Do we have to believe their lies because of anikantva? Well, I don't think Nikanda means you have to believe them. It just says there is multiplicity of views. You don't have to believe them. Well, here's tell you remember the story about the men, the blind men and the elephants, right? They are each telling a certain truth from their perspective. So it's not a lie. Yes, an elephant is like a flower, and yes, an elephant is like a tree trunk. Should I should one blind man not believe the other blind man? Zero four eight four. Anybody who has Honda icon, we need help to move it. And there's another card for Nissan Center. Nissan Altima, Hector, Nissan Altima. Uh, we need that in the main parking lot. I don't know. I, 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 I Anybody who wants from what I understand, and we've discussed this many times. From what I understand, this it's like uh, it's non-absolutism. We don't want to stake a claim that this is it. And I mean, that's one of the things that differentiates Jainism with other more fundamentalist religions, right? They are absolutist. They are like, this is it. There is no questions to be asked. Whereas we don't do that. We rely more on our principles and the power of persuasion, the power of soul. And we don't, we don't force people to believe in a certain idea if, you know, I, 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 maybe I'm not being clear, but it's the acceptance of another view. Don't have to, don't have to say, no, you're, I'm wrong, you're right. It's the acceptance of the other view. That's how I, I get it. That's great. Um, there is such a thing as truth. Just because Anikantvat is true, doesn't mean there's not such a thing as truth. The things in this book are true. However, that doesn't mean you have to, um, so, and there is such a thing as delusion, right? We have monia karma, which is the deluding karma. That is, people with a large amount of this karma will not accept true things as true. They will think other things are true. And that stops them from starting on this spiritual path. That's why monia karma is the king of all karmas. Because the first thing you have to do to start on the spiritual path is believe that some of these things are true. Like the soul exists and that the soul is the doer of actions and that the soul reaps the rewards of their actions. So just because there's um, somebody having monia karma and deluded, okay, we can call that for what it is, a delusion. And that, um, but what we mean when we talk about Anikantvad is the fact that we try, we try to see that person for what they are. And you try to see that person as a soul that's being deluded. Okay? And what they're saying is true from a deluded perspective. Right? There are certain things that are true, 
And there are certain things that are untrue. The things in this book are true and everything else is untrue. Okay, and people will start to try to get you to believe that false things are true and true things are false. Okay, but the person, um, so the thing about The thing about meeting people where they are is exactly right. That is, just because somebody says something false, we don't have to believe it. We don't necessarily want to attack that person. We want to try to understand where they're coming from. We want to try to understand how that person came to believe that and why that person believes that thing. And we want to respect that person. We want to respect people who give false information and we want to use it to understand, to sharpen our own mind and say, well, why, how does that, um, you know, this is a game I like to play with uh, politicians all the time when I hear the news, right? They say something crazy. And rather than say it's crazy, I try to figure out good counter arguments against it and why I don't believe that thing that they're saying. We should do that exactly. That's what this Anikantvat is about, okay? You listen to this argument that some person says, this false argument, you think about it. Why do I think that's false? What about it? What about Jainism says it's false? Is there a counter argument? Or maybe it's something I don't know. So maybe I can use it to increase my spiritual awareness. Clearly false arguments. But if I don't have a good counter argument, maybe I don't know enough about my own soul. Maybe I don't know enough about Jainism. Maybe I should use that to increase uh, my progress on the spiritual path. Okay? So, and it certainly means, Anikantva certainly means we don't commit violence against people who believe the wrong things. We um, don't, even mental violence, right? We don't wish ill upon people who believe in wrong things. We want them to believe right things. And if they ask us, we will tell them what the truth is. But uh, we certainly don't force our opinions on other people. That's a, a large part of Anikantva, as you mentioned. And so that's the difference. And the takeaway is that yeah. I don't I don't want because everybody does this I don't want you to think that Anikantvad means that things aren't true it's a very more much more complicated than that and I've Anikantvad is the last four chapters or sorry what some of the last four chapters of the book and so you can kind of think of the book as everything before Anikantvad is like high school okay and once you start to get to Anikantvad in the book that's like your college level courses okay so that's how you should think of it. So questions or comments about any of that? Anything we talked about today? A quick comment, um, actually question. So if we say this book is the truth, everything else is the fault, if I heard you correctly, somebody could say the same about Gita, somebody could say the same about Quran, somebody could say the same about Bible. Absolutely. Right? They do. They do. Yeah. They do actually. <laughs> um, so, what do, I mean, are they, well, how do we, how do we, how do we look at that? What do we say? So I'll give you an example. Um, I don't know about any other religions. Let's say somebody say, says that souls don't exist. Okay. And we say, and you ask, your question is, what do we say? We say they do exist. Here are the reasons why. And if that, if, if that person is, has gotten rid of enough monia karma that they're able to perceive the truth and proceed along the spiritual path, that's great. And if not, then we can try to help them. If they don't want help, 
then that's the end of the discussion. Okay. Um, would it be wrong if I said, well, that's your view. I respect that view. Uh, this is my view. And I mean, I don't want, I, that, that doesn't need to be like a, a debate. Or does, does, that, does, does that have to be you a debate? Explain, right? You have to explain what you're, what you're saying. You have to explain. You have to explain it versus just saying. Because they're going to say, no, this is the truth. This is the truth. I encourage you not to get into religious debates with anybody in your life. Uh, I encourage you to use any kind of arguments you hear to sharpen your faith, to wonder, to wonder why Jainism doesn't express this, or to research into topics with Jainism. You're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble. You're going to attract a lot of bad karma if you start entering into religious debates. Uh, do you, does, that, does this example come from some idea where you feel you have to justify Jainism in a conversation between you and somebody else? Not at all. I, I, in fact, I always justify Jainism for being non-fundamentalist, being very receptive, very accepting of other viewpoints. That is my, that's why I'm a little uncomfortable with saying this is the truth, that everything else is non-truth. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly that's true. We are very accepting of other people's viewpoints because a lot of religions have the same ideals as Jainism. The same ideals about compassion, the same ideals about helping people from uh, alleviating the suffering from other people, the same ideas. And we should encourage that. And I think that that's great. I think that I think we should encourage other religions to promote, you know, for example, let's say a religion is has a very important central idea. We feed hungry people. We should celebrate that. We should encourage that. And we should respect those people for doing that. And I think that we should. No, don't get me wrong. I mean, I am very uh, proud and I'm actually very, uh, the, the, re the, re the reason I, I really believe in Jainism is because it is so tolerant. Right. Uh, as opposed to being non, uh, you know, I find others, other religions to be non-tolerant, but that's their, but that's their viewpoint. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I, I haven't studied that, I don't know much about that, that they have their views, that's fine. And so those religions that are intolerant are teaching their adherents, um, to attract karma to their soul, which is wrong. Okay, because that intolerance leads to himself, right? And so they're teaching the incorrect things to their adherents. <laughs> Just talk to everybody around. <laughs> Other questions or comments? Good. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. It's just uh, from my head. Okay. Yeah. So it's just uh, from my head. I was going to ask. I can text you. I can text you this, this sheet so you can see it. Those are very good points. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for coming this week. I really appreciate it. Everything all right, man? Oh, please don't take a picture of that. That is. Okay. There's like a, I, I can. Tim, I can. Tim will send. I it can to text you. it to him. <laughs> Alright, ciao. Bye. Thank you for coming this week. I really Thank appreciate you. that. Thank you. I don't have that book actually. Oh, you don't have a book? Yeah. Okay, let's see. Yeah.
helps you so much. Man. I have registered it. Uh, you have just thank you. No problem. <laughs>